Hello and welcome to the Truck and Driver podcast, our second episode of the new year, and it's only the 10th of January. And I'm joined today with Matt Island. Wait, hey, good to have you back, Matt. Thank you've you. You've been a busy, you've been a busy guy, from what I can gather, Ugh. especially today. Might as yes. well get it out of the way and admit what you've gone and done. Oh, I don't know. If, I don't know if we dare. I think people be turning off, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> no, today, uh, today I passed my PSV license. Uh, one that I've never actually wanted to do, but it's after a year I can then train people on the bus for driving schools, basically. So, yes. So, uh, <laughs> what's the score by doing that then? With with having a lorry license, is there any? Can you skip any steps with it in terms of CPC or anything like that, or do you have to start from scratch if you're crossing over? I will need to double check. Basically, they're two separate CPCs, unless your training provider provides for both then i think they can sign you off for both at the same time i think that's i think that's right so um but as i'm not really intended on using it commercially i haven't really looked into the cpc because for training same as with the truck you don't Mm -hmm. actually need to hold a cpc which just does seem daft but Mm -hmm. as long as i've got a license i can train people like say i don't need cpc or anything like that you just need a current license so as for the test it's much the same as a rigid test although you have to stop twice and pretend that you're letting passengers on and off at an actual bus stop. Um, that's the only sort of difference. Everyone, <laughs> <laughs> everyone, and, and you have to do it in a very specific manner. You have to put it into neutral. Whereas in your truck test, you can leave the truck uh, because, uh, let's face it, everything out there for, for, for training-wise, and I know someone's now going to write it and say, actually, no, I'm still... And as the words are coming out of my mouth... There is a chap round Ipswich who is still using an FL10 for training, which is fantastic, and that's clearly going to be a manual. So, generally speaking, they're autos, and you can leave them in gear mm. the whole time. The whole time you're out on the test, um, when you're doing your um, your stop uh, manoeuvres, I think they call them, where mm. uphill, downhill, from behind a parked vehicle, you can just leave it in gear the whole time. So, But with the bus, mm. when you stop at a bus stop to let passengers on and off, you must put it into neutral. That's about the only difference, really. Oh, so, well, that's, f- that's fair enough. Yeah. Like, I, I did mention WhatsApp earlier. I was at coach driving is probably co- potentially quite interesting. You probably get quite yeah. a lot of good stories from that. Mm. My uncle Billy, he was a, he was a long-distance truck driver, and he became a coach driver in later years and, and, and things. And you do get quite... Depending on what you're doing, you can get quite a lot of interesting stories from the antics of the passengers, both good and bad, I think. Bad, you, know, if yeah. I was gonna, you know, if I was going to do something along that lines, it would have to be sort of, you know, coach driving, sort of, you know, the more yeah. sort of executive line of things. But there's mm. interesting things you could do because you could end up like doing like um, football teams or like, you know, bands and, and well, concert exactly. stuff and everything yeah. like that you know um, yeah. might, might be alright I don't know what it would be like you know if you're t- taking a whole load of pensioners to um, Blackpool or Brighton or something something like that I don't I, I, I don't know what that would be like but I, I've never fancied what those guys do driving double deckers or buses around urban places like crashing oh. into potholes and driving in the city like all yeah. day because like when you're in a truck generally like you know, driving in the city is one of the you know the, the the bits that's you know it's one of the harder and more stressful bits of it. But yes. you do get out on you generally you do get out onto the open road and you get a bit of variety and stuff. But in a bus, you're potentially just driving around London all day. You must have to have yeah. eyes in the back of your head and oh, not round for me. And round thanks, and round but, and round. Know. Yeah, it's not for me either. But but again, like you say with the with the band stuff, obviously 
after 14 odd years at Trans Am, I know quite a lot of the bus drivers who do all the all the crew busing and, and, the, and the artists ah. and whatnot. So there's always potential scope there for like the double manning work because they, they get double manned the same as the trucks do. Um, or even should I be that mad, you know, I could go on tour with them instead of on the truck sort of thing. Um, they do earn mm. better money, um, or the tour drivers mm. do, but the, the double manning stuff apparently is about the same as the trucks. So... Um, uh, when it comes, they, they when, do, when work is generally yeah. coming down to money, it's um, when it's coming down yeah. to money, it's quite important, isn't it? So uh, yeah. double double manning can be quite tricky in that. Well, I was finding the truck because you because of the long hours, you had to be able to snatch sleep. You had to be able to sleep on demand to keep going. Yes. And if you couldn't do that, by the time you're going into, if you've got to do the last shift, it can be really tiring. Uh, but yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what the situation was like that. In a in a bus, I mean, would you have an actual bed in the bus, or would you have to sit up? Ooh, so that yeah, so much the, fancy that. No, so the crew buses have a have a bunk, mm-hmm. um, because obviously the um, well the drivers, from what I gather, the drivers' cabin area will turn into their bunk and whatnot. But there is a designated mm-hmm. driver bunk in the back, so you could go and have a lay down oh, and sleep as well. Well, that'd, so, be, all, uh, that'd be all right. That'd it would be, all right be too bad, yeah. And uh, I'm quite lucky mm-hmm. that I suppose just getting used to it. Over that many years, um, I can just hop after my shift. I can hop in the hop in the bunk and get straight to sleep, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Unless the driver's particularly terrible. I mean, I was very lucky that almost all the time was with my brother, so um, it really wasn't mm-hmm. too much of an issue. Luckily, I didn't have certainly didn't have any scares with him because he's a very good driver. But I did have a few occasions with other drivers that were um, uh, eye opening. Is probably the best way of describing it, especially when you're just sort of waking up or being woken up by being thrown across the truck. <laughs> Uh, and I used to, yeah, you used to get it d- double man going to Birmingham, and you would get some the agency guys, and you would get somebody who'd be like, "Oh, I've been up since four o'clock this morning," and it's like, "Well, yeah, great, brilliant. now you're going on a night shift." <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I'd, you'd hear them going onto the rumble strips quite a few times, and think you'd be like, "Oh, you wouldn't be able," to, you'd be like, "Nah, I can't relax here." Eh? But then it wasn't helpful because that was the time that you should be trying to relax. And, yeah. Uh, rest, where, but you couldn't ultimately do it. I haven't mm-hmm. done any double manning since oh, 2018. When was the last time I did any of that? Any of that? Yeah. Of course, it's a good. It's a good shift if you get somebody that's good to run with. Yeah, it could be if a, you've great... got a good com- a good companion and all that. It can be a, a great night. It can go quickly. It's quite enjoyable. But you know, you're in a confined space with somebody that you don't necessarily know well. So yeah, there's good points and bad. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think. The vast majority of people would choose to be on their own, and as I yeah. said, as I said, but again, if you've got the right person, the time can fly past. And I've, you know, I've made some really good friends as well with some of the people I've driven with, and we've had such a laugh. Uh, you know, and they've just become lifelong friends. And again, should anyone ever ask me to double man a truck, as long as I can pick who I'm going with, it, it wouldn't be too much of an issue, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. you're absolutely, you're, no, you're absolutely right enough there. I, it's, um, it's, it's an acquired taste that you know. Yeah. I think, I think you do get. It's a way as well to rack. It is a way to rack up a lot of hours as well. Yeah. Without um, being away, you yeah. know, you do get home. You don't spend a lot of time at home if you're double man. You tend to get home, get home, go to sleep, get up, eat, go back out again. But you are, you do tend to be home. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. true. But there's there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it comes out of Scotland because there's an awful lot of trucks that require to go to the Midlands. Yeah. Um, but and to be fair, the, the, some of the ones that would go from sort of Dumfries and Galloway round about the border, those guys would be on their own, but they'd be running like four fifteen best case scenario to get into the place. Yeah. 
and then they would have to do all the work themselves, opening the curtains and all that and mucking about in the place. And a lot of the time they would run out of time and it would be quite difficult for them. Whereas if you are double manned, then you do have somebody else there with you to help out, help out with, it, with it all, which made life easier. So Yeah, you've got a, uh, lot, it, a lot more leeway with uh, the, the random road closures that they like to do at night and, and not seem to communicate with each other as to what roads are going to close and send you off on a diversion you then find mm-hmm. find the next road is closed and so on and so I forth. Th- I think they do communicate with each other. I think they just don't give a shit. I think they just go and do it anyway. They're like, right, tonight we're going to close. Let's see, we're going to close the M20, the M25, uh, the M6 and the M40. So, you know, your entire route yeah. if you're trying to go up for the south of England ruined. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I don't do too much of that anymore. That's for certain. <laughs> Aside for that, I mean, you you do tend to do quite a bit of driving work, a kind of variety of things and everything. How did how did the? I think the last time we spoke, the sugar beet season was just kind of finishing off. How did that go this year? And so what else have you been driving? You've been you've been out in um, Terry Siemens trucks and you've driven a few different th- all sorts of stuff from new to old, really. Yeah, yeah. So um, the sugar beet season's been a bit of a disaster, to be honest, because when we spoke towards the end of the summer, we it had been so hot and dry. The ground was like concrete, and and they were the size of carrots. Then it started. Mm-hmm. Then it started raining, and it's kind of not stopped raining. So it's become so wet. They're struggling to get the things out the ground now because it's so wet. Beet piles are starting to rot. It's really quieting down on the sugar beet now. Um, I did a little bit between Christmas and New Year, and that's that'll be pretty much it for me on the on the beet because there's just not much left about um, for casual people sort of thing. So yeah, I dropped in a little bit of Terry. I did a day for um, Norman's Transport Halesworth. Now, they've just replaced their aging Mercedes Actrosses with a batch of brand-new mirrorless DAFs. So I actually finally got to drive a mirrorless truck. And I, Because I don't think we talked about this the last time I spoke. Cause no, no. I think it's no, been no, a while, didn't. isn't it? So I personally think they're fantastic. Um now, I know, well, I, that one, the DAF one is said to be the best of the bunch at the moment because yeah. it's all cameraed up in that. Bob Beach seems to think that that's the best one as yeah. well. You know, he's quite quite an authority and all that that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's the first one that you've driven. So, what yeah. did you like about it? Well, the one thing that I found strange about it at the moment is when you reverse, it doesn't track you. Now, the demonstrator definitely did, uh, and there's conflicting reasons as to why it's not at the moment i would presume i think you can i think you can switch that on and off and the mercedes i think uh, from what and I, the mercedes you could do it you could stop it you could stop it doing it i remember that yeah well, so I, it wouldn't it wouldn't angle its way out because once you get to being almost straight or something i can't remember then you maybe don't want it to do it or something like it yeah remember but well the dash so it wasn't it wasn't tracking you when you were no. doing corners or when you were reversing when you're what? only when you're reversing when you're going forwards it's tracking you but reversing it's not mm-hmm. i think and this is obviously only my speculation is that there's an issue with the software um Somebody said to me it was down to a health and safety issue, which I find a bit strange when it's actually benefiting you no end. Um, and I intentionally set myself I intentionally set myself up for a blindside reverse because that's the main benefit of these things is it, mm. it eliminates that even without it tracking in the lower like the wider angle camera, you could still see the back of the trailer and roughly what it's doing. Mm. So when it tracks, or when it tracks properly, I should say, it will be even better uh and i drove it that i torrential rain the camera never got damp 
so I had perfect vision down both sides uh, while it was torrential rain and it was getting dark at that point. Reversing in the dark, it was all right. Uh, a lot of people are like, well, it's, it's no good, you know, but a conventional mirror is no good in the dark. You're, you're in the dark and, you know, it, it's not great. So I didn't find any difference with the actual um, mm-hmm. mirrorless thing in the dark. So I, I would definitely like to try the Merc version at some point to see, well, it, the, see Merc, the Merc has yeah. been... The Merc has been updated um, a fair bit from yeah. the the earliest ones. The the, uh, the earliest ones are kind of low resolution and a little bit f- fuzzy, but they seem to have they seem to have updated quite a few different things on them. I remember one that I drove I had a particular type of sun visor on it, right? Which was just this one type of sun visor, which was acting as a rain gutter, which was sending water onto the camera lens, right? Which was problematic, but yeah. that was only that one kind of sun visor which was causing that issue, right? Which was fitted, you know, it was an afterthought, you know, nobody designed it with that on it, but the yeah. other ones wouldn't, the other ones wouldn't do that. How was it like, what was it like with LED lights? Because one of the problems that you found in some systems is, well, like the lights of Range Rovers, that the lights flash back and forth, like it's almost like beacons on a police car. Yeah. And it can be very distracting. Yeah, I didn't really notice any of that, to be honest. Now, whether that's just because... I can't remember it, or whether nobody came past. Oh, you would have, you would have remembered that. Yeah, you would have I, seen it like all the time. You're yeah. like, what is that? Because it's a bit like when you're. It's like the resolution, obviously, on a. If you're watching stuff on a computer screen, you notice it. Um, because I've noticed it when doing my videos with my GoPro and editing it, and these lights are flat, and you think, why is that flashing? It wasn't like that, and that's because of this for that frame reason. rate. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really recall it doing much of that, to be honest. So, um, I don't think we'll. And and I know. A lot of people were saying about getting them damaged and whatnot. I spoke to my mate Ben, who works for Mercedes, and he was saying, I think it might have been last year, in about six months, I think they had two come in that actually had the, the cameras knocked. And being where we are in Suffolk, it's quite rural, um, although you've got Felixstowe, mm-hmm. Felixstowe Docks, and I expect a lot of them down there have got them. And he said even when it had been knocked and actually knocked off the cab, the camera was still actually working, although... Obviously, it's pointing where it shouldn't be. It didn't actually stop the camera itself working, so you could probably bodge it up with a bit of gaffer tape to get you to somewhere. And I know there's a scaremongering of, uh, oh, what if you're in the middle lane and they suddenly pack up? Well, if you're overtaking something, you know roughly how far you're going, and you can always just slow down and, and get yourself understood by the driver you're overtaking that you've got a problem mm. and to get yourself over. So, you know, hypothesising like that, I think there's a bit, it's people. A lot of people clutching at straws because they don't like technology moving on and changing. I think that's what a lot of it is. Same as when the digi, digi tacos came out. An awful lot of people, whoa, that's no good, blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I don't know how many people listening to this have used a paper taco recently, but if you go back to them, they are a pain in the backside. Trying to remember if you've had 15 minutes exactly... You know, remembering exactly where you are. All these little things. It's a digital. You need, you need your kitchen timer. Yes, exactly. And the cab. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need the, the old big time. You know, mm. on on the grab handle. So, um, you know, I, I think digi cards are so much easier and and better. You know, and, and these things don't get unmade. And uh, like I said to you before, I've seen MANs in Germany with these mirrorless systems, 
Uh, not yeah, seen... you can get them an MAN here yeah. now. It's got an option, but yeah. you know, it's taking that long to get an MAN into the country at some points. Now you probably don't want to complicate things any further no. than they need to be <laughs> no. by adding adding stuff on. I mean, it's going to they'll probably all end up doing it, you know, sort of eventually. Yeah, I would have um, thought so. But you know, I'm still I'm still in I'm still in the, the sort of position where I'm like, you know, it's still. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a lot of blindsiding and you're abroad, maybe, but I'm still like, nah, it's kind of like file under electronic handbrakes. It's an awful lot of effort. Yeah. To match something. Yes. Because mirrors have, mirrors have improved massively. The other side of it is Volvo really pushed it on with their mirrors. But if you look at the mirrors on a next-gen Scania, the new DAF mirrors, even the new MAN mirrors, they're all so much better now. They've eliminated so much of the blind spots that used to be there as well, and you got a really wide field of vision. So I'm just a bit meh about them. Hope, yeah. I'm hoping to get a good run uh, in one of the new DAFs this year to go and spend some spend some time working one whether or not I'll have mirrors or mirror cams I don't know I don't know if I'll get the option or not mm-hmm. I'll have to go and you know decide um, no in fact I did drive one of my mirrors last year and it was, uh, mirrorless and it was all right yeah you know. we'll see what did you what, what was it you drove was it an XF or an XG or an XG plus it was just an XG um they they well, they don't do just an XG. Yeah. They're still huge. Fair, you know? Yeah, pretty big. Um, I, and I also I did one day so far of trade plating essentially for Chassis Cab, who's the local DAF dealership. Because uh, a friend of mine, they just need people ad hoc, you know, when they're a bit busy. And I did deliver two brand new XFs, and I was quite shocked at how much difference there is between an XF and an XG, even at, at that level. And then obviously. Once you go to the XG Plus, I mean, that's a whole other world. Um, but Normans, they don't... They've got a couple of guys who are kind of out all week most of the time, but now and again they'll get home during the week, and the others are only doing a couple of nights out. So an XG is, is kind of plenty enough for them. Um, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the XF's now like a kind of step down in size that's kind yeah. of sort of sort of comparable maybe to the scania r series i guess yeah it's um designed it's good for sort of lightweight applications it's a it's a sort of mid-sized cab that daft never had before yeah that kind of sits on its own where you know it is, it is big enough to go and do sort of nights out and things mm. the xd the small the cf replacement is sort of on the smaller side that's 11 litre only as well right okay um, I was going to say the, so the because ex- it, it's kind of, it's a lot lower down but that's going to be good for going into urban environments but what's also interesting as well is that the DAF XF is fully London direct vision standard compliant right after that next deadline in 2025 or whenever it is you could still use you will be able to use the new shape DAF XF when basically some large full-size Arctics are not going to be able to go into London at all because Sadiq can, you know, he's wanting to get rid of all the old cars. He doesn't want trucks coming in there as well, even if they're all camered up and everyone he wants to make life as difficult as possible for everybody with, um, you know, very little benefit probably. Yeah, but it's, it sounds good to voters, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Well, people in London, people in London voted for them, so you know, yeah, yeah. it's their own bloody fault. Yeah, well, reap what you sow, don't you? If it means I'm never going in there again, it won't. It won't really bother me, to be honest. <laughs> I, I'm waiting. Well, they're expanding the ultra low emission zone to right the way around to the whole of Greater London, which is basically everything inside the M25. Right. So, so many old cars are going to be coming out of London this year, I think, because people are going to have to get rid of them or pay a twelve pound fifty a day charge, which I think is ridiculous because it's not going to change the weather. It's not going to change the air quality. If they wanted to really do something they should focus on old diesel vehicles mm-hmm. 
uh, specifically and help people get like newer commercial vehicles sort of like a 10 year old van stinks to high heaven yeah. with the exhaust off it and everything they've been helping with that but uh, cynical me I'm going to be like waiting to pounce to go and get some of these cheap old Vauxhalls yes. that come out of London <laughs> I hope yeah, you never because know. Because people, people, uh, people will just have to be getting rid of them. Yeah. Uh, because they're not going to be able to run them anymore. But, and even if you do like a thousand miles a year, and your car's, you know, a little petrol engine that nothing's coming out of, uh, uh, Sadiq says you've got to get rid of it. Brilliant. <laughs> I've also been doing a lot of um, straw, which has been good. Straw. New, yeah, new job um, as such, or new customer. Chap's only got two trucks. He's got a drawbar, and there's me on on the flatbed, which is a what's the word for it? You know, the extra long, extra long trailer, extra long. Oh, the XL, the one like the sort of the yeah. setback axle. <coughs> That's right. Yeah. Eight, the, what they eight, what 18, I, eighteen meters? What is it like? Is it just like straw, like bare <laughs> straw bales with straps over the top? Yes, yep, that's it. So the, the trailer originally was a mega step curtain cider. Um, so I presume a pallet night run type thing that got, I'm not sure it was written bashed, up. Or it, probably got bashed. Uh. Yeah, it, it ended up in a local scrapyard. Um, so the chap saw it and thought, I can, I can use that. So he's bought it and created like a, a modular false floor for it to level it out, which can also obviously be removed if he needs to for a like, large machine or anything because he's an agricultural contractor. And I'm just carting straw up to... So there's a power station at Snetterton. There's one at Sleaford. And there's one at Ely. Although Ely's a bit tight for the Arctic. So Simon... Power stations? Yep. It's all being burnt for fuel. What? Yep. What? Because it can't be used for the traditional purposes of straw? Well, or what? Uh, well, unfortunately, there's not enough farms and livestock in the UK to warrant using it for silage, so there would be a surplus. Fair enough. Yeah, so there would be a surplus anyway. It's a renewable crop because there's one every year, and it's essentially apparently carbon neutral. Um, yeah, well, it sounds good to me. Burn it. Burn yeah, it all burn if it's it. not being used for an end. Fair enough. Yeah, so it's, That's um, all right. And it's, it's British as well. I really don't agree with these barges that come into the UK full of wood pellets to go and get burnt in biomass stations yeah. that have come from like halfway across the world. And bar- yeah. barges full of coal coming in as well. I mean, really important coal. Yeah. Mean, just, ugh. It's not like we don't have enough of it. So, but, you know, for the, poli- for the politicians, it's all right if... If you don't create the fuel that causes the pollution, then it's all right. If you buy it from somewhere else, that seems to be okay. If you yeah. just transport it somewhere. Yeah. But anyway, so, so it's getting burned so in like in biomass plants and things with everything else. Yeah. And they I be- can fire on them. Yeah, I believe that one load of straw will will power. I think it's a thousand houses for a day. I think so. If I'm if I'm running to Snetterton from where we are. You'll do two loads in a day, and that's it. No matter, you know, no matter how quick you get round, you're never going to do any more. So two loads a day. Mm. Sleaford is just one. So it's just a nice, steady job. You know, I don't have to start stupid early or finish stupid late. Very laid back. I mean, the big, the biggest job is getting it strapped down with being sort of near on five metres tall. And especially as most straw stacks are kind of on old airfields around here, it does tend to get a bit windy. So... um it's a bit of a workout to get the get the load strapped occasionally, but that's about that. Oh, the I'd I'd be climbing on top of it, so I would. <laughs> oh, of course, of course you would, of course you would. <laughs> and incidentally, an awful lot of people always say, "Shouldn't that be uh, sheeted that load?" Uh, you know, because that that was quite a thing 
for a while, mm-hmm. several years ago. But health and safety have actually ruled that out and said there's no safe way of sheeting that load at all. So it doesn't have to be sheeted. And kind of after the first 10 minutes or so, pretty much what's going to blow away is blown away and and it sort of settles itself down. So it's not it's not chucking too much straw everywhere, if you see what I mean. Mm. So, but it's good, it's good fun. And the, the truck, uh, the truck's a DAF, um, a 530, 106, 16 speed manual, which is very nice. But she's had a bit of a water issue coming up to Christmas and between Christmas. So for the time being, I've got a rental DAF from a local company, which is hemorrhaging water and oil. Um, this thing's been worked a lot and hard. Um, the dipstick seems to be popping out almost every other day. So you've got jack the oh. cab, jack the cab up, and there's another. This there's, there's, it's just been in for an inspection, and they they did say there was a reason why it was happening because I think it's leaking oil elsewhere. So I think once once we've once we're done with it, which will only be another week or so, hopefully, and it's done a little bit more. Uh, that's pretty certainly going to be on a boat to Africa. For a new life out there, I'd say she's she's high mm. mileage. What models are that? So that's a one hundred and six as well. It's on a seventeen plate. This one, it's done almost eight hundred thousand k's. It's tidy enough uh, internally. I think it's been knocked about a little bit outside by previous um, hirers of it. I think they've uh, they could do a bit of driver training. I think we could put it like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a shame because it pulls nice and it's you know it's still com- comfy. It's just yeah, every single day, coolant levels low, the oils get you know it's it's dropping oil, so it's, she's um she's getting mm. a bit tired. It's um living up to a bit of a dash um, stereotype. So, so many so many trucks live hard and die young. You know most of them. Yeah. You know it's, when we see the trucks that are featured in Truck and Driver and the ones you see at shows and things. You know the ones that are sort of coveted and like looked well looked after, the prize people's pride and joys. But so many trucks just get hammered. Yeah. You know, from right from the outset and everything. And you're thinking 800,000 kilometres. 800,000 kilometres. It depends if it's racked those up. You know, a Scottish trunk motor can rack up that sort of that sort of mileage. Something that's double shifted yeah. can rack it up if it's doing motorway trunking and everything. But if it's been in if it's been in mixed work, that could be like dog years to it, you know. It yeah. could be <laughs> Yeah. They could have really had a had a sort of heart a very uh, a very hard time. I, there's no once trucks get to eight hundred thousand kilometres. There's no buyer for them in the UK. No, you know that they, they are finished. Nobody will. Nobody wants them unless it's probably like something like a Scania V8 or potentially something you know random like an FH16 Volvo or something unusual. Yeah, something rare. Yeah. Nobody's n- nobody's going to want anything like that. Trucks have got two two maybe three owners if you're lucky, and then everything just gets exported, especially with a low emissions sort of equipment sort of way, th- way things are now it's less and less there's less operators out there now that would run things until they drop I think yeah too it hard. used to be quite used to be quite a thing for guys you know we'll buy it and we'll run it for you know 15 years until it drops and I don't think there is much of that anymore due to the complexity of it I think no. people are more aware and I think of the fact it's got a, a very expensive exhaust system and everything attached to it but the Euro 6 exhausts haven't been the catastrophe that people predicted they would be like nearly 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. not saying that they don't have problems and they aren't very complicated, but they haven't been, you know, people were like predicting that things were going to bankrupt people and that hasn't really been the case. So not without without issues, but, you yeah. know. And it's like, like you're saying, the driver's being sympathetic to a truck. Um, 
a good friend of mine who's known a driver uh, from down this way, Tim Freeman. He's got an FH12 version 1, which is uh, it's either 99 or 2000 model, over a million miles on the clock. And it's, you know, he's had it the whole time from new, looked after it, and it's still held together so well. I know it's a Volvo, so they tend to. But I remember him saying to me, because where he parked, there was a couple of trucks, I think it was, run by, I think it was, well, what is now or was XPO. And because the guys are on, like, you know, they're so critical on fuel and this, that and the other, the guys would come in, fire it up, and as soon as there's enough air, they'd be off. Whereas Tim would fire up his truck, let it warm up for a good five minutes or so, just let it tick over, build everything up nice and slowly before making his way out the yard. But these guys running these other trucks, again, like you say, they're on mixed work seven days a week and just with minimal care or attention, hammer the life out of it, it goes on a boat because it's knackered and send it out. Whereas if you do, mm. if you look after that truck, it will it will last a damn sight longer than just absolutely killing it yeah you, you wonder about how in-depth the maintenance is on a lot of these r&m contracts as well there's a, a suspicion that in some places it's the bare minimum you know yeah i think it certainly some... is yeah i also did speaking of work did a run to croatia uh, at the end of last year in the van with a couple of dogs which was beautiful down to the dalmatian coast a couple of pugs that was a really, really nice end of the year on on the mm-hmm. on the on the pet van, and I should be um, back on that hopefully the end of the month. Just waiting for the actual dates of when I'm needed, and I'm still not going to say where it's going because I don't want to jinx it anymore. Because it was meant I was meant to go instead of Croatia, so that's mm. that's going to start picking up again soon, uh, which is good. Uh, I mean, it's pretty quiet out there work-wise. Uh, I'm lucky with that straw job because there's a lot, a lot needs moving. But there didn't seem to be a Christmas rush for anybody. It, it just doesn't look very good at all, really. Um, so it's no. sort of t- taking I, I was up. They seemed to be. They seemed to be busy up here. I got asked a few times if I could get driving, and it was all related to supermarket work, which seemed to be very busy. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much it, really. But there wasn't. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount else out there, sadly. So mm. yeah, yeah it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how things pick up and kick on. Uh, this year, I mean, it's pretty exciting in terms of trucks and what's coming, what's coming out. All the manufacturers have got updates coming out. Yep. Across the sort of next year, no matter what you drive, um, they're updating it and everything. They're doing a lot of really good work on diesel. I was banging on in my editorial column for the next issue about diesel engines again because you saw that big line of Tesla cars and the services all waiting to get charged up. Yeah. Because the infrastructure just isn't there for them, and it's like, well. You know how's 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 it going to work with um, trucks out in the road and things? Are they going to if things are going to have to get charged up out in the road? Is there going to have to be a charging point to every point, every place in a truck stop, and you can get them in and get them hooked up every time they need to do a forty-five? Can you imagine the hundreds <laughs> of billions it would cost to go and do all that? Eh? And we can't provide we can't even provide a lay-by for people to stop him for a forty-five minute break. No, exactly. It's a, <laughs> you're like, hmm, a debatable, but you know, there's some good stuff coming out. But one thing that we were that we'd noticed this week that you had mentioned to me was that the Scania seven seventy is no longer the most powerful truck in the world. No, it it has been um, beaten. Yep. By a Chinese truck. Yep. The Shackman. Um, wh- which I had heard of, um, uh, which I had not heard of until uh, about half an hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've seen I've seen quite a few of these older model trucks 
knocking about in Russia. Um, and that's kind of all I've known about them. There's, there's Chakman, there's Sino Truck, which is probably not how you pronounce it. And there's um, oh, the Chinese National Heavy Truck Company, I think it is mm-hmm. as well, someone like that. So, yeah, so Shackman have, have bought out an 800 brake horsepower Euro 6 engine. Tell you what, as well, it's a V8. Yeah, so take that, Scania. <laughs> um, now, whether any will make it to these shores, I would, no. I presume probably not, but there's always. Well, you know, I know. I know pretty much for a fact Scania and Volvo can go higher than what they already have. Yeah. They're not prepared. Volvo, I mean, people were expecting Volvo to respond to Scania, but, you know, in the interests of, I mean, I'm sure they would, but it's sort of in the interests of political correctness in Europe and sort of the Western world at this sort of point in time where, whereby is it, is, is it really sort of appropriate yeah. for you to be making trucks with over 800 horsepower? <laughs> yeah, well... Of course it is. Yeah, it's not really. There's not really any point to it. You know, you can reach the limit as to what you can do, and especially in normal weights. Yeah, even running like this. I mean, the, and the reason that these trucks are built by Volvo and Scania in Europe is because of Scandinavia and running with double trailers at sixty-five tons. That's why they exist. Yeah, mainly. You could you couldn't really go any quicker. A six sixty Scania is not really any isn't anywhere behind a seven seventy running at forty-four tons. Yeah. It's, you know, like that, but this thing, this um, the the what is it called? A Shaq Fu? No, wait a minute. A Shaq Man. Shaq, Shaq Fu is an old yeah. Mega Drive game with Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> I'm sorry, so there's a picture of it online. It's got a V8 engine, and it is Euro six, and it produces 800 horsepower and a whopping 3,750 newton meters of torque. Mm-hmm. And they also got a 550 and a 770. A seven, they do a 550 and a 770? Mm-hmm. No, wait. Well, okay. I'm trying to read this. What does it say? The 16.6 litre engine produces between 550 horsepower and 770 horsepower at torques. For, has this yeah. been translated? This is, like, this is like badly translated. I, th- I, th- I think what it's saying there is there's different power outputs between 550. But why would you do a 770 and an 800? That can't be right. Anyway... It says it's got a 16-speed gearbox. Yeah. And um, it is an exclusive six-before setup, so it's double-drive only Yeah. for demanding road and mountain activities. I mean, with the roads in China and stuff, I mean, you probably maybe would want double-drive. If you look at the dashboard on it, you can clearly see on the outside it's Mercedes-influenced, and on the inside, yep, exactly, very, very similar to the Actros. It's got the two iPads that are basically just glued to the dashboard. Um, and it's got very similar switch gear, steering wheel, and kind of minimalist. There are maybe about six buttons on the dash, so everything else that you want is going to have to be accessed to the touch screen, which I'm not a fan of. Um, I think you need buttons for more controls there. And it's got, yeah, it looks it looks pretty similar. It's got the sort of beige dashboard in it as well. And I'm not sure how reliable Chinese touchscreen would be either. Um, with some well, well, I don't know. The chain—it's probably a Chinese touchscreen in all the trucks that you get. Well, that's true, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, that's that's oh. the truck. I mean, they've got that one looks like a Mercedes. They do have another model which looks a, um, a lot more like a Volvo, and they've also got, I think, as well, something that uses the old MAN TGX tractor unit as well. Well, they seem to have. You know, they, they must have bought in the sort of the previous generation technology and worked with it from there. But um, 
Yeah, it would be interesting to see if anybody would bring one over to Europe. That'd be great. Um, Just well, to see because it. I know in, a, in a, well in Australia and New Zealand they've got Sino trucks, and we did have um, a small number of them in Ireland that were brought over and they were going to have a replacement for Hinos. Right. But they were only Euro 5, they never went to Euro 6. I did a feature on them back in 2018 in Truck and Driver where I went and drove a couple of them. Uh, they brought in, who were the lot that did the Hinos? Uh, uh, Harris, Harris is the yes. importers of Dublin. They brought them in, but I don't know, what if it, maybe the pandemic or something like that, it never went any, fu- any further than that. And they were planning to bring over, you know, Euro 6, Chinese trucks in complete knockdown form and what they were doing was basically rebuilding them and adding a variety of bits and pieces to make them more sort of European in spec for example they might upgrade the seats they might um, from a wicker chair (laughs) yeah basically they they upgrade it and make it a bit more sort of solid and they were were basically for every say 10 trucks they'd got one of them they would break down and put it into spares so they could back it all up but it never really seemed to go anywhere very much um, and people talk about the the Ford truck but with with the Sino truck obviously they're prepared to build them in right hand drive because they are being used in New Zealand and Australia mm-hmm. so in theory I mean they could potentially come here we're not in the EU either so you I think we still use the same type of approval process as the EU because even though we left, they basically just transferred a whole load of laws over, yeah. which are basically exactly the same as the EU. But you may, you may you may find at some point that somebody decides to have a go at bringing uh, Chinese trucks over here to Europe and potentially to us. It could it could happen. Yeah. Uh, with the shortage of trucks being well, the, the lead time of trucks being what they are now. If you can supply the things and reckon that you can back them up and it's a competitive price, if one of these is 30 grand cheaper than an Iveco or, or a Renault or whatever, then, you know, they'll sell. Someone's going to go for them, it. Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. someone will go for it, without a doubt. So, yeah. And, uh, so, Shackman, S-H-A-C-M-A-N. Check it out, the X6800 horsepower. Too right. <laughs> So another another good bit of news as well. I have found a publisher for my two book projects. All right, cool. Which is fantastic. Who's, so uh, there's who's that. Uh, so it's a company called Pen and Sword. Uh, uh-huh. A chap called David Wall uh, messaged me and suggested them. So I emailed them. Uh, uh, two di- there was I found two different emails for them. So I emailed both of them, and a lady came back and said, "Oh, we're not really interested in that sort of thing." And then uh, a chap came back and said, "Oh, you know, I could be interested in this." So. We've gone back and forth, back and forth. They basically want to try and break into the truck book market as such because there's no publisher out there at the moment for it. No, there's... people people struggle to publish um, truck books yeah. like um, like people previously. It's harder than ever to get yeah there's... Uh, books books made. Yeah, um, so that that's interesting. Pen and sword. sword. Yeah, and so so what's your two books then? So I've got a book on the Zenobia, which I've talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also I've also been writing a book on Kepsto Freight, who were the pioneers really of trucking to Russia and beyond. And again, like like Paul Paul said in the last one, um, he's probably lost count of how many people said he's worked for Ralph Davis and been mm-hmm. to Kazakhstan. Well, they, these were going there at the same sort of time. So um, it's, there's there's an awful lot of interesting stories and some great photographs. Um, so that should be that shouldn't need too much more before it's ready to go. Hopefully, so. I'm just waiting on some samples. They're going to send me some samples because um, they're, they're Britain's biggest railway publisher, from what I can gather. Ah. Uh, and 
they that which came about by accident um with someone packing up and them sort of taking up the reins and going from there so they they've got some ideas for future books as well and sort of types of books you know on, on various um companies as such um, biographies which i think is an interesting one again someone like murray grant who'd have an awful lot of stories um yeah his kind of life story that sort of thing so they're gonna we're gonna speak again soon and I'll, i've got quite a few ideas to put to them um so just gonna see sort of where it leads which it's sounding very promising i think no that's good well done fantastic yeah. news fantastic news there i yeah should do you should do your autobiography at some point. <laughs> I thought I thought I thought I'd be doing mine, but I don't want to do it while my parents are still around and all that because we've been mortified to read about my antics over the years. <laughs> I think I don't think people would need a little pamphlet to read to pass the time of mine. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's um, it's that's looking really really promising. So uh, I might be uh, driving the computer a little bit more than a truck um, in the coming sort of months or maybe even years. Who knows? Um, oh, no, no, good, yeah. good stuff. Yeah, oh, that's uh, oh, that's good. Um, now we've got coming up in the next uh, what issue after next? I've got your Swedefest report going on. Lovely, yeah, excellent. And of course, yeah. um, obviously, I mentioned in the last podcast as well. We've got Andy starting, who's coming in as editor. Yes, and I'm moving to be editor at large, which means I get to focus on doing more on um, events and social media and uh, all sorts of. Uh, different other projects and things like that, including our bumper issues, one of which is the British trucks issue, yes. uh, which I'm excited about. And, you know, we're going to do a Volvo one. We might well do a DAF one. Yeah. But I'm looking forward to get cracking with the British trucks issue. Anybody who's listening, I want to accumulate a, a list, um, as many British truck operators as possible. Who's still running Foden's and ERFs? I want to know. Yeah. Uh, see how see how many we can get in the magazine, and you've also submitted us some stuff for that we've been sitting on, which isn't just Foden and ERF either. We've got some Ford stuff in there, don't we? Yeah, yeah. And I very recently found another Ford Alpha still working as well, which I sent you pictures of. Which I'd love to try and find out a bit more history because it's a bit of an unknown one as well because it's such low mileage. Mm-hmm. It's on a fifty-one plate, which I think is a private plate, and it's come from Newton Abbott, and it's got a cat in it, six for two. Alpha, and it's got, I don't think it's even got 300,000 on it. And the interior shows that it's not, it's not been around the clock. It's it's not done anything, really. I don't have the information to hand, I don't think. Um, I sent you a photo of it, but again, I don't know, I, I don't know who, I don't know whether it's been repainted or, or anything about it, unfortunately. Hmm. So, but, no, but. Put it, put it in the magazine or put it online and all that. One of the. Yeah. Some of the some of the Foden people, Stephen Foster's bound to know something about that. He knows something about every Foden. Yeah, I did. I did ask on a couple of groups and didn't really get very far, unfortunately. Um, it, mm. I know it's a bit of a needle in the haystack, but the article's written for that truck. I just need to wait for a bit of better weather to go and get some nice photos of it. Hopefully, um, and that's another one for the British uh, British one. I'm, and I do need to go and speak to Ayres, who are running. Several ERFs and they've been snapped on the uh, on the sugar beet campaign up at Whittington in Norfolk, so they've been running in and out of there. And I believe he might even still have eight on the road, ERF ECs, wow. which I think we talked about before. So um, the last time I spoke to him, he had six. They were then putting another one, potentially two, two back on the road. So um, yeah, they're they're oh, still well and truly flying the flag. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well. That's us hitting the 45-minute mark round of it now. Do you have any further business for this one? Not that I can think of, mate. No? 
Cool, fantastic. Well, yep. that's absolutely flowing in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yep. good to be back. Yes, very um, much so. Yeah, I'm going to say, I'm gonna, uh, doing a level best to get a podcast out every week and all that. Now we're back into our routine with things and everything. So Excellent. thank you very much, Matt. Good luck with everything that's on the go. And yeah. I shall be catching up with you again uh, soon, I hope. Yeah, definitely. Look forward to it, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Truck and Driver podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To keep up to date with the latest news, 100% for drivers, visit truckanddriver.co.uk, where you can also subscribe to the print edition of Truck and Driver magazine, which publishes on the last Friday of every month.